Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Please visit www.audiblepodcast.com slash castle for your free audiobook download. Podcastle, number 24, for September 9th, 2008. It Takes a Town, by Steve Ramey. Welcome to Podcastle. I'm Deb Coates. Our story today is It Takes a Town, by Stephen B. Ramey. But before we begin, I've got a few thoughts I'd like to share. I grew up on a small farm at the end of a dead-end road, 10 miles from town and 50 miles from the nearest city. Among other inconveniences, we had terrible phone service. My father once stood in the middle of the yard and yelled at the phone service man, We had better phone service 40 years ago. No one cared 40 years ago, the phone man said. Yes, we did, my father said. We always cared. But the phone company didn't. Eventually, they told us we were in a B service area, that we were lucky we had phones, and we should just go away and leave them alone. Fast forward a number of years to a few weeks ago when I was at the Iowa State Vet School and struck up a conversation with a man whose dog was in surgery. He was a livestock farmer who lived about 30 miles away and he couldn't, for love or money, find a vet who would come out to his farm. He didn't want to call for every little thing. He already had his own routine veterinary care coverage. He just wanted someone for emergencies. He called the vet school once and begged them give him a name. Anyone within a hundred miles. But there was no one. He's a farmer and he can barely farm because the services he needs are disappearing. We hear a lot about corporate farms and factory farms and the problems not just for the animals and the land but the people. Migrant workers and farm laborers and bankrupt small farmers. Well corporate farms are a big issue Absentee owners are a big issue. The treatment of animals and the erosion of the land are big, big issues. But there are still lots of people living in places we never see from the interstate or from five miles up in the air. They're living their lives, like we all do, the best they can. And they're largely invisible to the rest of us, except when, occasionally, like the farm crisis in the 80s, or when 10 tornadoes hit in a single night, they become visible. So it's nice sometimes when someone, briefly, shines a light on them. Today's story, as I said, is It Takes a Town by Stephen B. Ramey. Steve has worked night shift at a bowling alley, as a chemical engineer in Texas, New Mexico, and Syria. He's managed a hardware store and owned a small bookstore. These days he lives in Bloomington, Indiana and manages an office for the Animal Behavior Society. He says that he's met people from a variety of social and educational backgrounds and what has impacted him most is that no matter how we see the world, we share a primal need to be part of something greater than ourselves. It's an impulse that divides us on the surface, Steve says, unites us underneath, and makes us the most complicated animal indeed. Steve and his wife, Susan Urbanic-Linville, will be revising a fantasy novel that should be completed in 2009. He's blogging their process at Justice, that's J-U-S-T-I-S-S dot WordPress dot com. It Takes a Town was originally published at Strange Horizons, 
in November 2002 and will be reprinted in Triangulation, an anthology published by Parsec in 2008. Our narrator for It Takes a Town is Bill Russo. Bill produces Talking Traffic at www.talkingtraffic.org, an educational podcast about traffic, transportation, and mobility issues for the everyday person. And now, on to the story. It Takes a Town by Stephen V. Ramey 25 November 2002 It may take a village to raise a kid, but it damn sure takes a town to raise a rocket. Unknown, but undoubtedly Midwestern. 10. Anthony Marks mopped sweat from his face, adjusted his brazier straps, and squatted beside the gravel road. Thornhope had never been the cultural center of Pulaski County, much less Indiana, but that would soon change. Lips compressed above a sparse goatee, he outlined block letters onto the two-by-three-foot welcome sign, a chest-high plank mounted on a weathered four-by-four post. Thornhope, population 850, home of the Mars rocket. That last line was his. He'd whitewashed out the elevation, which didn't much matter, and donated a pint of his best black exterior latex semi-gloss. Other folks had made greater financial contributions, but Anthony had sacrificed a part of himself every day for 32 years to fit into a world that could never be his. That was his price for admission, he figured. He'd arrived in Thornhope with high hopes, excited at the prospect of opening his hardware store in a small town after years of rat race life in Indy and a failed marriage. Thornhope would be home, a place where folks were happy to have him for his expertise and the energy he brought to the community. The sun's heat weighted his shoulders. He gazed across fields of wild grasses and clumped daisies. It had only been a matter of time before someone noticed lingerie in his laundry. Some had stopped patronizing the store, opting to travel to Frank's Tools in Star City. Others became wary of touching merchandise he handed them or wouldn't meet his eyes. Heat crawled beneath his clothes. He cringed at the thought of sweating buttocks turning his new purple panties into puckered half-moons. Usually he saved that contrast in textures, silky nylon against coarse corduroy, for weekends. Today was different. He needed that extra boost because what he undertook here was important. Mars offered fresh perspectives and new opportunities to prove he belonged. A struggling colony was not going to worry about whether the underwear beneath one's spacesuit bore lace. Gravel crunched. A gear clunked. A door squealed open. What in the name of creation? The sour odor of pig manure wafted. Anthony turned. Tom Piper, the town's down-and-out pig farmer, stood, arms akimbo, in front of his green Dodge pickup. He wore faded bib coveralls and a Daryl Gordon NASCAR baseball cap with a brim so curved from being folded it looked like an upside-down U. Artist at work, Anthony said, feeling relieved. Tom wasn't a fanatic. He was usually more worried about his pigs than whether Anthony's eyeliner showed. Tom's brow furrowed above wide-set eyes. He walked closer, coveralls stiff with dirt. Both he and the vehicle bore orangish spatter marks. He was tall, with a thin to medium build, and well-tanned, but his leathery face and bushy eyebrows got in the way of what might have otherwise been a friendly gaze. Anthony imagined him in blue chiffon with matching bag and shoes. They ain't really gonna go through with this, Tom said. Are they? The pig smell intensified. 
driving off more pleasant fumes of paint and honest sweat. First the casino, then the amusement park, now a rocket? He chuckled. Won't you crazy townies never learn? This is different. This will really put Thornhope on the map. Anthony turned back to his work. The whole town is pitching in. He finished outlining the final T and selected a sash brush from his tool belt. The brush's upper portion was crusted, but the tips were flexible enough. He dipped it into the black paint. What about materials? Folks are donating. And what about the rocket? Where are you going to get that? Anthony licked his lips, trying not to lose concentration. There's talk about that old silo on your property. My silo! Tom laughed hard and slapped his thigh. What in hellfire makes you think a bunch of morons and a queerball crossdresser can launch a silo to Mars? Anthony rolled his eyes. This was exactly the attitude he hoped to escape. Who's to say we can't? Gravity for one, Tom muttered. Look, it's a waste of time. We should be gnawing on more important things. Like pork subsidies? Yeah! Tom perched his elbow atop the sign. Subsidies ain't increased in ten years, and this damned heat sucks up every drop of moisture. Can't feed my pigs, let alone water them. Anthony looked up. Did you ever stop to consider, Tom, that the first pig farmer on Mars won't need subsidies? Silence reigned for a heartbeat. Whether Tom was seriously considering, or simply flabbergasted, Anthony had no idea. Heck, he added, that man would probably be stinking rich in no time. Well, stinking anyway, he thought, repressing a grin. It's just crazy. Tom leaned away from the sign, sauntered back to his truck, and swung up into the cab. You can't drop a bunch of pigs on Mars and expect them to survive. What are they going to eat? Rocks? I suppose you'll dress them up in little spacesuits. That's your department, right? Little pink piggy spacesuits with frilly tail covers? Anthony let his smile break through. He had to admit, it was an amusing image. 9. A man should not be an island, Dan Brand thought. He set a bushel basket of corn by the kitchen door. An island erodes. He had no intention of eroding. Get off the pot, was his motto. None of this sitting around waiting for global warming to torch the world. Dust lifted between his house and Highway 35, a quickly dispersing funnel. It reminded him that he needed to clean the resonance sensors in the tornado alarm. After five years of tinkering, the thing still wasn't working like he'd hoped. A green pickup coasted to a stop beside the dew collector array, a series of upside-down aluminum teepees connected through a plastic manifold. Tom Piper opened the truck door and stepped down with a quick nod. Hi, Tom, Dan said. How's things? Not good. Tom's weathered face showed a fleeting smile but settled on a frown. Can't even sell my hogs for the money I got in them. Dan knew what was coming next. Tom would try to sell him a hog as if a family of four could eat 200 pounds of pork each month. It's getting tough, no doubt about it, he said. Yep. Tom removed his cap and wiped his forehead. Want to see what I'm doing about it? I'll show you my corn. Tom frowned. Got all the corn I need. It's customers I'm wanting. When the wife left, I lost the best damn telemarketer in the state. Dan pretended not to hear. A man could wallow in self-pity or pick himself up and get on with life. He walked to the barn and slid open the main door. The interior exuded an orange glow that made him pause to let his eyes adjust. The rusted remnants of a low-water spray washer hulked to the left. Diane hadn't been pleased with that invention. Beyond that, two dusty tractors threw translucent shadows across a carnage of farm equipment stripped for parts. 
The barn's right half contained his new project. Six by six wood-framed planting beds, six inches high. Installed these red lights about three months ago. He walked between machinery and planting beds, casually inspecting progress charts. Tom followed, jaw hanging. The sweet smell of potting soil surrounded them. I have carrots here. It was hard to see the sprouts. They didn't grow quickly, but they grew, and that was what mattered. A little tinkering with the strains, and he'd be ready. Tom's eyes flitted as if taking in an alien landscape. Dan smiled. It was a testament to his success that the place looked foreign. Experimental crops, he said, for the Mars mission. Tom shook his head. Damn it, Dan! Bad enough they're painting signs. Now they got Yukon too. Our farms are failing. Dan nodded toward the oldest tractor, which hadn't run in a couple years. Why till dust? Oh, I've managed by cutting acreage and irrigating, but the trend is clear. Food prices can't go higher without something giving. He approached a walk-in freezer installed beneath the loft, a grocery store unit he'd gotten cheap when the Winnemac Kroger's shut down. The laminated schedule on the door reminded him that the solar array was due for routine maintenance. A man has got to adapt, he said. I don't mean to leave my kids this dust bowl when there's a whole world in need of cultivation. Do you have any idea how many astronauts hail from our neck of the woods? This is an area rife with space exploration potential. You can't just take a notion to go to Mars and back, Dan said. We have to gather soil samples. Can't be done. And who told you Mars is like this anyhow? Tom raised his arms to indicate the barn. Carol Huff. Carol Huff is twelve. Maybe, but she has a stack for grandparents' magazines from back when the U.S. of A. first went to the Red Planet. I'm talking time, Tom. Yeah. Tom looked uncertain. That's just pictures. Even I know Mars is too cold for carrots. You've anticipated my next point. Dan swung open the freezer door, revealing a brighter orange compartment packed with waist-high corn stalks. Now I know it's not much, he said. The ears are small and not as tasty as indie sweet, but it grows, at forty-five degrees in red light. Tom stepped closer. He peeled back a tassel, exposing irregular kernels. You ain't never gonna sell this stuff. Oh, but we will, Dan said. To Martians, Tom guffawed. He broke off a finger-sized ear and dropped it to the floor. Dan grasped his shoulder. We will be the Martians. Tom shook him off. Yeah, well, you're halfway there. You ask me. I never saw such a bunch of Looney Tunes. He stomped away, crunching carrot tops along the edge of one planting unit. Dan forced a smile. Some people take time to come around. He thought. No man can remain an island for long. Eight. Amanda Rounsener had devoted her life to children, even though she hadn't been able to have her own. Forty-three years in the public schools, another two heading up the Thornhope PTA, and she was not about to stop now. Adults had screwed up the environment, and the world their children would inherit was becoming a scary place. Well, she would not stand for it. She angled the beach umbrella affixed to her table to block the sun and taped poster board to the table's edge. Support the Thornhope rocket. Against a background of rocket ships and red spheres, children in the after-school art project had made it. Mayor Reps' inspired words echoed in her head: "We hereby dedicate this project, the consolidated efforts of our terrific town, to our children and our children's children, and we dedicate ourselves to the betterment of humankind." Amanda arranged baked goods, sugar cookies, nut-filled brownies, aromatic apple and rhubarb pies, a scrumptious chocolate cake that she half hoped wouldn't sell. She checked the cash box, thirty dollars in bills and coins. 
Spicy hot sausage smell invaded from the neighboring vending truck. She'd set up near the entrance of the Food for Less's black-topped lot because, like the sausage vendor, she knew it was best to catch folks going in or coming out. Jake and Marcy DeHerrer jaywalked Main Street, three kids in tow like baby ducks. Jake had been her favorite student in 06, not because he'd excelled, but for his impish ways. A good morning to you, Amanda said, donning her best smile. You're looking chipper, Ms. R. Jake herded the little ones up the curb. What's on the block this morning? Look, Daddy, rocket! Jake Jr., a blonde boy with darling blue eyes, pointed to the sign. So smart, Amanda said. She gave him a sugar cookie. The other kids, a girl with short-cropped brown hair named Celeste, and Marty, barely out of diapers, took up the crusade, pointing and fussing. Marty was probably pointing at the cookie, actually, but that was close enough to clever for Amanda. She handed down two more cookies. I think we can spare something, Jake said. I don't know, Marcy said. We have to save up for braces. Braces will be the least of your worries if things keep going as they are. Amanda watched Marty suck his cookie's soggy edge. This project benefits our kids. You want Jake and Celeste and Marty to have a future, don't you? A place to live and work? Good schools? Jake stared at his youngest, as if working through an algebra problem. He had never been quick with math. Every dollar goes to the project, Amanda said. I baked these myself. How much for that chocolate cake? Jake winked at his wife, who looked uncomfortable but said nothing. Whatever you think appropriate. Amanda bent for the cash box, wincing at the sting that shot through her arthritic hip. Twenty dollars exchanged hands, and the chocolate cake was gone. Too bad, but if that's what it took, that's what it took. She spied Tom Piper standing near the sausage truck. You'll need dessert with that, she said loudly. Tom's head spun around. He approached, wearing a smile that seemed awfully threadbare. She'd heard about his wife and children heading back east. Now what makes you think a pig farmer would be looking to buy a sausage? He leaned across and gave her a peck on the cheek. I'm just working my way over to you. Amanda remembered the nose-pinching smell of manure when she'd mucked her father's barn as a child. That was the trick to dealing with Tom. You had to imagine a smell stronger than his. Pick your poison, Thomas. Tom surveyed the table, eyes settling on the rhubarb pie. It's for a good cause, Amanda added. His gaze moved to the sign and froze. You too? I lost my appetite. Have some vision, Thomas. This is for our future. Oh, pig poop. If the government wanted us on Mars, we'd be there. What about real problems? What are they doing about the drought? When are they going to increase pork subsidies? This is not about what they can do for us, but what we can do for ourselves. She boxed the rhubarb pie. Tom backed away. I ain't giving my money no fool's errand, and I ain't giving up my silo neither. Amanda shook her head. This is for the children, Thomas. A better world for them. Surely, my children showed what they think of me. Tom's cheeks tightened, his eyes bulged. Run off with their mom without even a goodbye? Why should I care about them? Oh, Thomas, don't let your pain stand in the way of what you know is right. But he had already blended into the market crowd. A tear bulged in Amanda's eye. She refused to let it go farther. There was a job to be done, with or without Thomas Piper. 7. Carol Huff tapped buttons on the joystick space and watched a 3D rocket ship alter rotation on the video screen. The headset roar changed pitch. White haze puffed from the nozzles around the ship's propulsion ring. Systems nominal, the semi-transparent on-screen control bar proclaimed. She licked her lips and pulled the joystick gently toward her. The yellow-orange flame beneath the rocket shrank. The ship began its descent. 
Fifty meters above the rock-strewn surface, klaxons sounded. Descent velocity exceeds parameters. She pushed the joystick forward. The ship's descent slowed to nearly nothing. The original alarm was replaced by a shriller warning. Fuel critical. Yipe! She pressed an orange button on the video console, switching to secondary fuel tanks. But she'd selected the advanced expert level, and the secondary fuel tanks were empty. The only advantage gained was a heartbeat's hesitation before the rocket flame extinguished. The ship descended to a fiery demise. Heart pounding, she whipped off the headset. Hey, Ralph, bring me a strawberry smoothie. The pimple-faced boy behind the counter looked up from his e-book. You go down in flames again? Afraid so. Carol swiveled her chair. This isn't going to be an easy descent. No pain, no gain. Ralph reached for a glass from the cabinet behind the counter. Carol, a gruff voice said from behind her. We got to talk. She swiveled further and found herself staring into Mr. Piper's hard brown eyes. Ralph brought her drink. She smiled for him. Let me pay for that. Mr. Piper retrieved a duct tape wallet. Is it more than a buck? Uh, Ralph said. You don't need to. His voice cracked. Mr. Henry says she gets all the smoothies she wants until launch day. Mr. Piper winced and put his wallet away. Ralph returned to the counter. That's what I got to talk to you about. Mr. Piper showed yellowish teeth. Sometimes adults get carried away. They want something so bad they believe anything. Tell me about it. Carol remembered Mom's outrageous stories about Dad's affairs. You're a smart girl. I know you don't want no one to suffer because of something you said, right? Carol nodded, but her thoughts were on those arguments with Mom after Dad left. She'd wanted her words to hurt then, all right, like razor blades or fish hooks. Mister Piper leaned forward. You need to set him straight. Do you know how frustrating it is? She said to have people call you a geek just because you're a girl who likes science. Do you? Mr. Piper shook his head, looking more confused by the moment. Well, it's really frustrating. Carol tried not to breathe fast. I mean, I run track and take ballet and go to movies just like other kids, but all they talk about is how I know stuff. They're jealous. All you got to do, Mr. Piper said, is tell these townies that it ain't possible to get a rocket. Now everyone looks up to me. Carol stared defiantly into Mr. Piper's eyes because of what I know. But it's crazy. It's not crazy, Carol said. You can't build no rocket to Mars just because you want to believe you can. Life don't work that way. Oh yeah, Carol stood, bumping the swivel chair so that it rocked back and forth. Well, my dad works for NASA, and he knows a heck of a lot more about it than you do. Mr. Piper frowned. This was his idea. Carol's face flushed. Not exactly. She forced herself to look at Mr. Piper, but he would agree if he wasn't in Houston doing important work. Mr. Piper nodded that annoying adult knows best nod that drove her bats. Let me make a deal with you. He reached out. She ducked and ran to the back room. I'll be darned, she thought, if I give in to some stinky pig farmer. Six. Bobby Kinnaird replaced the sewing machine needle, aligned canvas fabric along the seam between Mr. Henry's metal tables, and thought of deeper things: connections between past and present, the sometimes fragile stitchwork that holds family together. Life and death and remembrance—always that. She had collected more than five hundred tombstone rubbings in her thirty-five years on Earth, preserving almost forgotten thoughts and wishes, restoring dead emotion. She'd framed and hung some of her favorites around her house as evidence of her passion, testimony to lives lived. But who would memorialize Earth's life and glory if humans never transcended this planet? Carol ran through the room, face red and tear-stained. "Hey," Bobby said. 
Carol pushed through the screen door into the alley beyond. The door closed with a snap. I wonder what's gotten into her, Granny Miller said, staring over silver-framed reading spectacles. Tom Piper entered the room, eyes casting every which way. Where'd she go? Carol? Yeah. He came to a stop near the women and stared at their handiwork. Three triangular canvas sections sewn neatly into one piece. Another week, and the whole parachute would be finished. I was talking to her, and she ran off. It must have been some talk. What did you say? Just trying to talk sense in her is all. Sense? You know, his eyes lifted. About this Mars thing. If she just admits it ain't possible, the others will leave off trying. The women shook their heads in unison. I mean, impossible, Bobby said. When Copernicus charted the stars, they said it was impossible that Earth was not the center of the universe. When Columbus sailed to America, some said he'd fall off the edge of the world. This is different. The impossible becomes possible through faith and perseverance. The glories of our civilization mount, leaving those who follow to memorialize the deeds of those who have gone before. You can't tell me it's possible to fly a my silo a million miles to Mars. I cannot tell you that it's possible, Bobby said. But if it is, I mean to be part of the effort. Just as you should. You have to believe. Tom put his hands on his hips. I'll believe when God Almighty walks in here and serves me a double rhubarb smoothie. Everyone looked at the door. And since it don't look like that'll happen anytime soon, it'd be nice if you ladies talk some sense into Carol. For Pete's sake, she's just a 12-year-old kid leading a whole town on a goose chase. 5. Giovanni left the pharmacy storeroom, a train engine, flatbed car, and several sections of track cradled beneath one arm. He had been a model train enthusiast since his father gave him a Lionel for his fifth birthday. Train tracks traversed the store on a waist-high ledge that inclined to cross above the door frames at the front and back. A tunnel transected the Beauty Aid showcase. Every 15 minutes, a train made its appearance, tooting and clacking, regular as clockwork. Customers called it the Giovanni Special. Many brought their kids when Giovanni decorated the track or filled the cargo cars with discount coupons for the holidays. Tom Piper sagged against the glass counter near the cash register. His eyes were sunken pools, his mouth a hard line. She's gone a year tomorrow, he said. Mary? Tom nodded. He sipped from a brown-stained mug. Giovanni kept a coffee pot running for his customers. I keep thinking I'm going to wake up one morning and find her sleeping next to me, but she don't even call. She was never fond of pig farming. Giovanni set the train paraphernalia down and loaded one piece of track onto the flatbed. But it's all I know. Giovanni shrugged. He'd added a robotic arm to the engine that could lift a track segment from the flatbed and swing it forward to the cow catcher. I love her, Tom added, and I miss my kids. Jessie's seven now, and I'm wondering if she even remembers me. Giovanni glanced up. Waiting for her to change her mind just won't cut it. You have to take the initiative. He swiveled the robotic arm until it clicked into place above the flat car. It's fine to scoot around the same old track for the day-to-day -day grind, but when you want something important, you have to jump your track and build a new one. He nodded at the long black engine. The cowcatcher had been modified to receive one end of a track segment, stabilize it, and align pegs to matching hollows in the track already laid beneath the engine. Tom set his mug on the counter. I got so many bills on my table, I can't even see my breakfast. Giovanni smiled. You're a capable man. I'm sure you can do anything you set your mind to. Theoretically, the train could lay its own track, one segment at a time. Perfected, 
This would enable retrieving of soil samples, something Dan insisted was crucial. If you want Mary back badly enough, you will find a way. Tom sighed and patted Giovanni's shoulder. At least there's someone who ain't crazy in this town. You ever seen so much stupidity in one place? I know you ain't buying into that rocket stuff. Giovanni pressed a button. The robotic arm whirred to life. Well, actually... Four. Cat on a hot tin roof, Claudia Specca thought as she stretched out to catch the tape measure's silver lip on the corrugated roof edge. These ridges wouldn't make the job easy. She would have to fill them with adhesive. Nothing like a challenge, she muttered. When she'd opened ceramics with style three years before, she couldn't have predicted this. Hey, you! a man shouted. Claudia lifted herself to a sitting position and looked down. A wiry guy in a gray t-shirt stood below, carrying two buckets, one half filled with food scraps, the other with water. You must be Tom! Claudia smiled, knowing that her smile melted the male heart as reliably as acetylene melted steel. You don't got permission, he said. Your van's blocking my drive. Claudia brushed blonde-brown hair away from her face. It was a stifling hot day, though a steady breeze blew from the west. If not for the metal soaking up sunlight, she might have been comfortable. The town council hired me. Didn't figure you'd mind me measuring the roof. She batted her eyes. Tom didn't seem to notice she was a woman. Look, mister, it's a paying job. You know how rare those have been lately? He threw his arms into the air, sloshing water with reckless abandon. What the hell? Take the thing. Tell them they can have the silo. I wash my hands of this community of idiots. He stomped towards the pigsties. What did I say? Claudia thought, shifting position on the hot roof. 3. Mayor Rep mounted the podium erected for the occasion on Tom Piper's farm, wearing stonewashed jeans, plaid cotton shirt, and leather boots. The rocket stood a hundred yards to the north, a gleaming silver cylinder topped with ceramic tile. Block letters spelled Thornhope. He had objected to that, thinking it might make the structure look like a water tower. Welcome to Thornhope, he said into the microphone. Local television vans had parked along the highway, but the Nationals had stayed away. Oh well, you have to play the hand you're dealt. Today, we continue a long tradition of communities working together to solve problems. I think it's safe to say, however, the scope of our project is unprecedented. Nor would it have been possible without the generosity and enthusiasm of the citizens of Thornhope. People clapped and shouted. A shiver ran up Mayor Rep's spine. He had had concerns about this project, but seeing a community united like this in adverse times, witnessing the undiluted belief of so many, assuaged doubt. Whatever happens today, he thought, we have done well. His smile relaxed. He sought eyes in his audience, one set at a time. In particular, he said, we thank Tom Piper for donating his silo. The crowd erupted into applause. 2. Tom shielded himself from their goodwill. Mayor Rep's voice rumbled through a countdown. 1. For a heartbeat, nothing happened. Ignition. Flame gouted from the silo's base. Brown-red dirt sprayed. The silo lumbered upward amid clouds of white exhaust. It was stupid. It could never work. Yet Tom felt his spirits climbing with it from the mud of his depression into shimmering blue sky. His heart pounded. He swallowed hard. Maybe if he tried to change things, he really could. Maybe if he went to Mary, like Giovanni said, she would take him back. An explosion ruptured the silo's sides like the tin they were. Shrapnel plummeted toward dead cornfields and a dying town. 
Only an old water heater continued upward, the heart of a butchered pig too dumb to know it was dead. I told you so, he thought. I told you this wouldn't work. When he turned to the others, Anthony, Dan, Amanda, Bobby, Carol, he couldn't say it. At least they tried. At least they dared to hope for something better. I'm sorry, he whispered. Dan's brown wrinkled. What do you mean? The first shrapnel touched down, raising dirt. Tom winced. That? Dan's frown became a smile. He laughed out loud. That's only the first stage. He pointed upward. Flame jetted from the water heater. It shot abruptly higher. That's the real deal. Lift off. Tom found himself surrounded by familiar faces that blurred into a ring of gleaming teeth and eyes. Dan Brand shook his hand. Anthony hugged him close. Amanda kissed him on the lips. He didn't try to stop them. Whether you loved or hated today's story, we hope you'll keep checking out more audio fiction. Audible.com is the Internet's leading provider of spoken audio entertainment, providing digital versions of tens of thousands of audiobooks that you can download to your personal computer or MP3 player. Listen anywhen, anywhere. Audible has over 40,000 titles representing every genre, including 1,000 science and technology books and 1,100 science fiction and fantasy titles. Audible has been kind enough to offer a free audiobook to PodCastle listeners who sign up at audiblepodcast.com slash castle today. If I were to pick up something from Audible today, I'd grab The Wizard of Earthsea by Ursula K. Le Guin, one of the classics in fantasy worlds filled with magic and adventure. Again, that website is audiblepodcast.com slash castle. Sign up and get your free audiobook today. Podcastle is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is distributed on a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Share it, but don't change it or sell it. Our theme music is by Shiva in Exile. You can find them at magnatune.com. You can discuss this episode of Podcastle or nearly anything else on our forums. Just visit forum.escapeartist.info. And if you like science fiction or horror, be sure to visit our sister podcasts, Escape Pod and Pseudopod. And if you enjoyed this episode, tell a friend, or post to your blog about it, or consider donating via the PayPal link on our site. Henrik Ibsen said, A community is like a ship. Everyone ought to be prepared to take the helm. 